Welcome back to Couple of Criminals. This is Mariah. And this is Anton. And we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. Today's episode is number 18 of a 50-part series that will be based around a crime in each state in the United States of America and will be in alphabetical order, which means today's case will be based on a crime in Louisiana. This is the last week that we have my sisters in town, so my other gorgeous sister, Elise, will be giving today's joke of the day, and then Anton will tell us today's case from Louisiana. The floor is yours. Take it away, girl. Hey, everyone. So I got a good joke for y'all today. It is, I was going to cook alligator for dinner, but realized I only had a crock pot. (laughs) I know, a knee slapper. That's a good one. And if you guys knew, crocodiles are very much attuned to the region of Louisiana. And so that is a good crocodile joke to lead us into Anton's case today in good old Louisiana. Let's hear it, Anton. Today's case, we will be going over another serial killer. But I did not really find much on the Louisiana Bayou when looking into it because why would I not want to do the, the bayou when looking into Louisiana? All I can think of with the bayou is my favorite Disney princess, which is uh, Princess Tiana. Princess Tiana. Love Going the down the bayou. Oh, yeah. You just sang. Yeah, I did. <laughs> the one that I found is about the bayou strangler. From 1997 to 2006, this man terrorized the bayou of Louisiana with a total of 23 victims, all of which were male and between the ages of 16 to 46. Precautionary before we begin, this story does involve minors and sexual abuse. Our killer was born in 1964, growing up in the Thibodeau, Louisiana area. He grew up in poverty, but no signs of any abuse from the home. In high school, he was bullied by other classmates due to his weight and lack of communication skills. Even through this, he was able to graduate high school in 1983 and enroll himself at Nichols State University, where he ended up dropping out quickly due to not being interested anymore in what he was studying, which was computer science. Shortly after leaving the university, the killer found out for himself that he liked men. He attended a local gay bar close to the campus, which turned out to be traumatic for him. This due to the fact that some of his classmates would be there and harass him. Although he likes other men, he completely denies any homosexual behavior. The first offense that the Bayou Strangler committed was that of sexual harassment via telephone on June 12, 1985. He had to pay $75 for the fine, and then the killer was never really able to also keep a job either due to his lack of education. So he had a lot of low-skilled labor jobs due to the fact, again, like he said, didn't have very good education. He lived between his mother and older sister's houses and also just lived off their incomes as well due to being out of work so often. Then in 1994, he was arrested for drunk driving. The next offense came when he was living with his older sister. There was a youth who actually jumped out of his sister's window This youth was partially naked and was stating that the killer was trying to rape and kill him, according to the neighbors that he went to. His bail was set for $100,000, but when it came down to the court case, the victim was nowhere to be found to testify. So his case was just thrown out entirely. Do we think the victim was too scared to come and testify against the perpetrator? That would be my assumption. It didn't say anything about what kind of why, but as we know in many rape cases that that's typically what it is. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it before in um, a couple of our other cases. Like, I believe the killer clown, he could have been prosecuted early on, but the victim that he attacked who ended up getting away never pushed charges because they're scared. Yeah, or they don't press charges till later in life. 
And so this occurred in August of 1996. According to some of the sources I had found, the killer actually stated saying that due to this instance, he actually started to murder his rape victims due to not wanting to get caught and put back into jail again. You heard that right, victims. Now, nowhere did I see how many men he actually raped before this happened, but clearly he had multiple victims, all of which they never said anything about getting raped. What is to come next is just absolutely devastating. In 1997, this was just the beginning of what the Bayou Strangler could do. Now, how did he do it? He would spend a lot of his free time at gay bars in the area he lived in. He would also dress up as a drag queen too. Not only that, but he would also pick people up in his truck, typically hitchhikers. How would he be able to get people in his truck or back to his trailer from the bar? He would offer them alcohol, drugs, housing as most of his targets were also homeless, or group sex with his supposed girlfriend as not all of his targets were gay either. Then, when they got to his trailer, he would bind them and rape them, not the beginning of 1997, he would murder them. His way of murder? Strangulation or, or asphyxiation. Once he was done having his way with his victims, he would then kill the victim and then dump their bodies in various different locations. I just wanted to highlight a few of the victim's stories so everyone can get a good idea of how it would happen. And then at the end, I would like to read off the names of all the victims in hopes that we'll never forget the victims. His first victim was a male who was 19 at the time of his murder. David Mitchell was hitchhiking alone, coming home from his grandma's place, celebrating a relative's birthday. Unknowingly, he was picked up by his murderer. On July 14, 1997, his body was found in a ditch along the highway in the St. Charles Parish area. This was two days after he was last seen at his grandma's house. During the investigation, it was stated that he drowned in the ditch, this due to no physical trauma or traces of drugs or alcohol on him. So that means we are to assume that there was no bruising around the neck, at least visible to yep, the people to who the, found the body? Yeah. Okay. Mitchell's father stated to the police that David was an excellent swimmer and that he was murdered, as well as just the evidence of the water level being low in the ditch and his pants were pulled down to his ankles when he was found. But still, they still said that it was a drowning. I can't even imagine coming upon that, that crime scene. And why would anybody be out there? You know, like, why would somebody be in that position and then you would assume they were in a drowning? Like, that's a susceptible and vulnerable position to be almost self-inflicted. Yeah. Especially with, you know, pants down by yeah. your ankles. You're pretty much half naked, most likely. It makes no sense. Yeah, doesn't make any sense. In October of 1998, the killer met Oliver LeBanks. Now, Oliver was apparently a drug addict. When he met Oliver, it was found out that Oliver wanted money for sex. Of course, the killer was all over this. The killer had sex with Oliver and then ended up beating him and killing him. Oliver was 27 at the time. Oliver's body was found on October 4, 1998, in the outskirts of Metairie. During the autopsy, it was found that the killer left some DNA on Oliver. Relatives and friends of Oliver stated that he only started living the way he did was due to the fact that he just lost his, his job due to using drugs. In June 1999, the killer met 21-year-old Angel Mejia, who was a hobo with past drug problems. After luring Angel with drugs, just like so many of his other victims before, he raped and strangled Angel. When the killer went to dispose of his body in a dumpster, the dumpster was full. This prevented the killer from using the dumpster, so instead of the dumpster, he ended up just dumping Angel's body in the street. 
Oh my gosh. Wait, so the last victim that you mentioned, he was beaten? He wasn't strangled? He was beaten, yes, is what it said. So that that could deter you from the same perpetrator mm-hmm. yeah. if you were an authority. Yes. The coroner did find proof of being bound by ropes prior to his death, Angel's death, as well as investigators did believe that two other men who were killed just before him, Gary Pierre and Joseph Brown, all lived in close proximity to each other, as well as might have even known each other. In early October 2000, our killer met a 20-year-old, Kenneth Randolph Jr., who lived near him in the trailer park. After luring Randolph to his place by promising to have sex with a girl that he had at his trailer for him, once there, the killer binded up Randolph and then raped and killed him. His partial naked remains were found in a field outside the city on October 6th. I wonder, is well, are these victims small men? It didn't state if they were small like men. Like their stature? Yeah, it didn't state their I'm stature. Like, but he was a bigger guy. Oh, he okay. was obese as well. So he was able to, I would assume, overpower, overpower them, them. With his body. Yeah, in that way. Then it took two years till the killer struck again. On October 12th, 2002, the killer then met Anoka Jones, who was a petty criminal around the town of Homa. This is when he attacked, raped, and killed him. The killer then dumped his body under a highway overpass, but this time the body was discovered only a few hours later. In April of 2005, our killer then met 31-year-old August Watkins, who was lured into the killer's truck with the promise of an overnight stay. As this man was homeless, he agreed to get into the truck. Once back at his trailer, the killer gave August alcohol and offered him to have sex with the girl that he was acquaintance with. This is when, as we can assume, he tied up August, raped him, and then killed him. Once police found August's body, police finally came out and stated that they might have a serial killer in the Kenner and Homa area. So it seems to me that the killer, whoever it is, he is very confident in his ability because he's putting the bodies in plain sight to where they can be found quickly, like within a matter of, you know, a few hours to a couple days. That's impressive. Like, to be that confident in your killings, to be able and to put them anywhere. Not to be caught for so long. Yeah. And also, again, just in plain sight to where he could get away with it. Well, that just shows that he's confident in his ability to get away with it. Yeah. Or he just did it in the blanket of night to where no one would be around to. Yeah. So at this point in time, the FBI ended up taking over the investigation. This is now eight years later after the first killing. Now, the killer's last confirmed victim was in 2006, 27-year-old Christopher Sutterfield, who actually began dating the killer. Then on October 14th, while the two were on a date, the killer struck Christopher over the head. Once his body was found, his family, acquaintances, and all who were confirmed to see him last were interviewed. They all confirmed that he was with the guy who drove a black SUV, but could not give the police a good description of the killer. So they were dating, but weren't boyfriends, correct? They were just like All it said was that they were dating. It never said if they were boyfriends or not. Well, it's just interesting to me that friends or acquaintances wouldn't be able to identify the boyfriend's Well, I don't know. It never stated. I want to say it was just at the beginning of October when they started going on dates. Okay. So it could have been they never actually met him, the killer, and that could be why. So all they knew is that he drove a black SUV. The killer was 
finally caught in 2006. This would be due to the fact that he was targeting another victim who managed to escape. Ricky Wallace was the victim who lived to tell the tale. Wallace was able to escape from the killer's trailer because he refused to be tied up and then was able to escape out the window. He then told his parole officer about the incident and it was finally time to find out who the Bayou Strangler was. Ronald Dominic was his name. When police came to him, he was not a problem at all and even provided a DNA sample. This is then when police were able to link him to two of the murders. And then after that, it was just downhill for him as he confessed to 23 total killings. You know what I think? I think he gave his DNA sample willingly because I bet he assumed he didn't leave any DNA because he was that confident. That and probably the fact that he didn't think that they might have already had it from his previous arrests too. Yeah, that's what I think so too. Then on September 24th, 2008, he pled guilty to eight of the murders, which all happened in the Terrebonne Parish. So he did not have to receive the death penalty. So do we have the names or victims of all 23 or do we only know the eight? That no, he was I have convicted? the names of all of the 23 victims. Did he provide all 23 yes, names? Yes, he did. Wow. So he knew his victims' names? Yes. He knew each one of these victims. Wow. Well, I don't know if he actually knew them because he picked up a lot of them either at the, the bar, whether they met him on a walk or they picked them up in his truck while they were hitchhiking. Like I said, a lot of these guys were homeless. And so we know with that, a lot of times they just go missing and no one really, no one really yeah. cares. And they're more susceptible, which is really sad because nobody should be susceptible yeah. to this. And it was either homeless people and a lot of petty criminals. And like I said, a lot of them were also African-American. So from what I saw. So instead of receiving the death penalty, he was given eight straight consecutive life sentences. Now, that is the story of the Bayou Strangler. And as I stated before, I would like to read the names of the victims so that they may never be forgotten. This is in order as well. David Mitchell, Gary Pierre, Larry Ranson, Oliver LeBanks, Joseph Brown, Bruce Williams, Manuel Reed, Angel Mejia, Mitchell Johnson, Michael Vincent, Kenneth Randolph Jr., Anoka Jones, Detrell Woods, Larry Matthews, Michael Barnett, Leon Lorette, August Watkins, Kurt Cunningham, Alonzo Hogan, Wayne Smith, Chris DeVille, Nicholas Pellegrin, and Christopher Sutterfield. That was all 23? All 23. And like I said, they ranged anywhere from the ages of 16 to 46. And how many years did it last? It was from 1997 to 2006, so... But there was a two-year time where he didn't commit any crimes. Yeah, there was two years in between where he didn't kill anyone. But again, we don't, we don't know that for sure. Because it's possible he was he a serial killer, have, he could have, and we just don't tie him. But he just never confirmed those victims, so... Wow, what a sad case. That's a lot of victims. Yeah, and again, and it could have all been stopped with that first victim as well like none of these other guys had to die if the first victim ended up coming to the court case yeah and i mean like at the same time you know you can't blame him because he's scared i mean he was a survivor but it, we see it all the time and another thing was you had your early cases that were able to claim dna but technology was not there yet so you couldn't even use the yeah, dna that they from had what i saw there was only 
two of the victims, one that I mentioned and one, another one, that actually he left DNA from. Yeah, I, I just think that's like the hard thing or the, you know, the great thing now is cases are being able to be solved that are cold because technology has advanced. But I'm glad they were able to solve this in 2006 with limited advancement. Yeah, so I think to. that's fantastic. I'm assuming I didn't look up when DNA evidence became relevant, but I'm assuming it was probably around that time when new DNA was able to, and so they were able to take the DNA from the old victims and match it to his DNA that he gave at the time. Yeah, and now he's behind bars, which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Couple of Criminals. We will see you back here next week where I will be reviewing a crime from Maine. Until then, this is your Couple of Criminals signing off.